We live in a time of great change. Hardly anyone does things the same way as they did them 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. And the pace of change isn't slowing down. Climate change will, of course, bring huge changes to many industries, especially energy. And the drive to operate sustainably will intensify. G'day, I'm James O'Loughlin. This podcast is going to examine what one company, Calix, is doing to identify and meet some big challenges that have emerged in the last decades. Calix uses patented technology they developed to provide industrial solutions that address global sustainability challenges. Their technology is being used to develop environmentally friendly solutions in areas that include crop protection, agriculture, water, wastewater, advanced batteries, carbon reduction. And we're going to find out how their quite complex technology went from being just an idea in someone's head to becoming a thriving international business, how the technology works and what it does. Mark Skeets was there at the beginning. He's a physical chemist, 40 years experience. In 2005, he founded Calix. Today is a director prior to 2005. Mark had worked at the University of Chicago, the University of Rochester in New York, and then at the University of Sydney in the School of Chemistry. He's published over 140 academic papers in physical chemistry, and get this, is an inventor of 36 patented inventions. G'day, Mark. Hi. 36. Yeah, it's interesting. It is. And the interesting difference between a patent and a publication is a patent is all thinking about the future and you don't have to prove what you're, you're patenting. Right. Where a publication is based on real fact. Right. It's a really interesting difference. But with uh, your patented technology for Calix, I guess the business world proves whether it's useful or not and we will go into that journey. How did the journey begin? How did this all start? Okay, Go back, looking at my career as a, as a chemist. I trained at the University of Queensland, then moved to Chicago. And in Chicago, I met the most amazing scientists, brilliant people. And they taught me to think outside the square, question everything, Mark, from the beginning to the end. And that, that has served me all my life. So I spent time then back at the University of Sydney, working in a research centre to develop optical communications. And the foundation was material science. And so I just fell in love with material science things. And then specifically, what about the, the technology that has become the Calix technology? What got you thinking about that? It came from a close relative, actually. Mm. Um, sent me a little paragraph of information about... This guy, a particular mining guy in Queensland who'd had an idea. I read that paragraph and I think said, I think I know what this is about. And so I went and met him. And what was the idea? The idea was to uh, heat process minerals, particularly manganese, carbonates and others, to make building products. Okay. And heat processing of minerals been done previously? It's, it's very common. Yeah. You make cement. 
So this was a new way of doing it. A new way of doing it. And he mentioned the word. And who's, who's, who is he? Connor Hawley. Yes. And he was the co-inventor of founder of Calix. Mm. And what did you want to do differently? What we wanted to do differently was use a different type of process technology. The process is called calcination. Yes. And his idea was to introduce heat externally to the, the process itself. Normally, you heat up the material with a, a hot gas stream. Yep. His idea was to use external heat to do the, the, the process. Okay. So what does calcination actually do? What does it help create? It's, it's the transformation of, of materials into new products by the application of heat. So, for example? Yeah, well, what's, what's some products that are created via calcination? All cement is created by calcination. Right. Um, pretty much all building materials are created by calcination. Um, steel yeah. is made by calcination right. processes. It is a very generic approach. And so the old way or, or the normal way, I guess, of calcination, just give us a quick layperson's guide to that. What goes in, what comes out, and what happens in the middle? What goes in is you grind up a material and you put a powder in, into a calciner. Yep. And traditionally, you use combustion heat in air and you mix your powder with the air and the tr hot air and the transformation just occurs. Yeah. So his idea was different. Put the heat in on the sides. Don't mix any combustion gas with the powder you're trying to heat. And how did he, how did he think this might enhance the product? What, 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 what would you end up with that was better? He, he already at that, this was in 2005, he'd already thought through, would you believe, CO2 capture. Mm. Because if you didn't use, mix up the, the gases given off in calcination, then you could create, say, a pure gas stream yep. of CO2. Right. We now call this direct separation. Right. He was already thinking that through. And, and it would lead to minerals, the end product, minerals that were more reactive, and, and that, that has that, certain advantages too? That was the key, hmm. that, that he kept on explaining why it would produce minerals that would have higher reactivity. And so that, that was basically… Why is that so important? Because you, if you've got materials that don't react, they won't form a cement. I see. So you need a certain amount of reactivity… Yeah. Not too much, not too little, but just right. Yeah. So that was his core idea, and he wanted us to build new, make new building products. Right. And so, of course, when someone has a great idea like that, uh, you, you get excited, but then you've got to get go, go into the real world and find out if it actually works. So did you do some early testing? It took a while to do that. I mean, the way it worked was that, I asked him to give me six months to write patents and do my own research yep. on it. And after that, we'd go 50-50 in the, a joint venture, and then we'd get diluted as we raise money. So that was the business model. Yep. He, I expected him to say no, but he said yes. So 
then I had no option. <laughs> you were stuck. <laughs> I was stuck. And so Calyx emerged. Okay. And and so you did some – and then was there some early testing after about six months? Yeah. We, 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 we set up a, a little plant up in the Gold Coast. And was that just funded by the university? No, no. It was funded by – um, investors, yes. our first investors. So you had to go out and pitch and all that sort of stuff? All the pitch, yep. Yeah. We're going to make great building products. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All of that. How, I mean, you know, was that hard and did most of the investors react well or did you get better at it? Or Well, I'd, I'd previously done this at the university. My job was to spin out companies right. from the university's research. So I knew about the pitch, yeah. but it took me a while to understand the, the actual business model. Yeah. That this, this was based on. Yeah. And so what were the early findings when you did get around to some testing? The early findings were that it could work. We made a material that was tested um, and… What sort uh, of material? It was magnesite. Yeah. Magnesium carbonate. Yeah. And I still remember the day we got some results back. I looked at this material. It wasn't fully calcined at all, but the reactivity was so high. I thought, this is crazy. <laughs> you know, I'd read literature which said, well, you couldn't get a particular reactivity. We were, we, I worked out this material, if fully calcined, had about a factor of 10 more reactivity. And why is that good? Why is that good? I didn't know. I just knew you it was, thought it was interesting. I was just knew it was different. <laughs> <laughs> different can be bad, eh? Or good, right? Well, in, in indeed, in building materials, it turned out to be a disaster, right? Because you don't too, want it to be too. It was reactive. too reactive. Yeah, but there's a but coming, isn't there? <laughs> there's a but, and it goes back to something else Connor had seen, mm. and what what he'd seen in the fifties when he was a young mining engineer was that if you look at a Magnesite mine. Mold doesn't grow on the magnesite. Right. And he had the idea then that you could actually make a synthetic material from the same mine, which would have enhanced bioactivity. And, and that was something we didn't talk about much because we wanted to make building materials. Yeah. But I just became so intrigued by all the things you could do with such a material. So, so you set off to make building materials. That turned out to be a bit of a, a blind alley, but you did find out about all this enhanced reactivity. Now, yeah. how, you know, just skipping ahead for a bit, how, do, how can that enhanced re reactivity help us to make better products? Well... It depends on, on the application. Yeah, give us an example. Well, water treatment is a, is a good example that that you need to make uh, a material that can reduce um, sulphur oh. in, in waste water. So the more it reacts, the more sulphur it reduces. That's right, and oh, the quicker right. the quicker it reacts. Yeah, and so that was one application, the early application. Yeah. So you so you you knew you were onto something. So you you did this test unit. What? Follow what followed that was that when you moved to the Bacchus Marsh site? No, we were still in building materials. Right, ten years after. Yeah, we'd started, so I had a long time to think about what other <laughs> things could work. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Uh, so when did you move to the Bacchus March site? About 2009. Okay. Okay. And was that a, was that a big a big thing? A huge thing. Mm. Because we, we just had this little plant up in Queensland where a guy took a bucket of this ground material and dumped it down this heated tube. Yeah. And we rushed down and got the material and analysed it. Yeah. And he'd go off and make building products with it, a little uh, blocks. Yeah. But this was a continuous operating plant. Yeah, right. So it wasn't a batch. It just would work 24 hours. Wow. And that was a big, big step. How big was it, that plant? The plant was yeah. about 13 metres high. Yeah. Um, it's in the shed. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so when you had that plant, you demonstrated the technology at a small scale. Yeah. How then did you... Did you start to go to market? We started to go to market, would you believe, still on building products. Yes, right. So we just needed Didn't want to let go of that. Didn't want to, <laughs> didn't want to let go of that. But, but this was – the key thing was to scale up to commercial uh, production. Yes. Because a little plant in building materials especially um, was not of interest to the major players. Mm. It was all about – what would it look at at a commercial scale? They told us what a commercial scale would be. Mm. It's a, a plant processing about 10 tonnes per hour of material. So that's all we had to build. And it was only a, a small scale up by a factor of 20, <laughs> which I now know that engineers would say, Mark, never do that. Right. How'd it, it go? It worked. Yes? Much to the surprise of all of us, but it worked. I expected it to work, of course, but I, I was doing calculations. And you had to do it pretty quickly. Yeah. 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 So we put together a core team of, of engineers, and uh, those engineers are still with us today. Fantastic. Yeah. And, and, you know, you would have had a budget. Was that tricky to do it within that? Well, it almost led to the death of the company, but still. Right. Because we, were... we had a budget, yeah. and we had a, you know, contracts and ideas and, and things like that. So, but whenever you're building something big, you've got to take account of contingencies. Yes. Things don't happen and this and that. And a lot of those things didn't happen in the way we first foreshadowed. Mm. So we'd raised a lot of money to, to do this, but we were running out of time. It must have been an anxious time for you. Yes. It was about to disappear down the gurgler. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how did you deal with that pressure? I kept on thinking of all the other things that we could do with the technology. Yeah, right. And and that ultimately became really the core feature of what we did. Yeah, yeah. And and you're a small company then too, weren't you? Yeah. 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 So again, that's uh, it was an a ambitious project. Very ambitious. Yeah. So when, when did but, you? But we've never stopped being ambitious. <laughs> Good on you. When did you turn the reactor on for the first time? About well, the, the big one. Yeah. About two thousand and twelve. Yeah. And how did you feel that day? I felt very good. Because yeah. it worked, and you know all the things that could have gone wrong didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. And. 
Were you producing new things then and, and more of the possibilities that you saw in your mind no, came actually? No, we were still focused on building Building products. materials, <laughs> yes, okay. Like after we'd built this big plan, plant, yeah. we then went back to ask the building construction companies yeah. what product did they need. And you learnt the first truth that for a startup company wanting to get into building materials, it's not a good place to start. You know, a conservative industry inherently, and for startup companies, you need, you know, markets that can grow very quickly, mm. and it wasn't for us. Okay, so that where did that lead you? It led us into water treatment, yeah. and and that became the focus of what we did. But then understanding how the water treatment process worked opened up more opportunities. Right, where else? Well, aquaculture, then agriculture, in future pharmaceuticals, Mm. the same one thing. So these these are all areas where the enhanced reactivity of of, of what you produce can be very useful. Yeah. 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 Were were there moments, what was the toughest moment for the company in those early early to mid years? You know, at times when you thought we're going to go under. That was the, the difficult time. Hmm. You know, we had great empathy with our staff. You know, what would happen to these people that knew so much hmm. about this enabling technology that that would that just disappear? So it was it was tense. Yeah, that's the valley of death, isn't it? When you've got an idea, but you haven't got enough clients yet to know whether you're going to make it yep. or enough investors. Yeah. yeah, and even worse, a business plan that doesn't work. And how long do you reckon you're in the valley for? About a year. <laughs> a year? Okay. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that would have been a long year, but it's not that long. It's not that long. Yeah. No, no. But but the good thing is that uh, really we were saved by a lot of the members of the company putting in cash, people oh, right. working for nothing. Wow. That's amazing. It is amazing. And so what did, I mean, in those difficult times, do you have any learnings from them, things that you thought, you know, I would not have learnt that if things had run more smoothly. I'd like to say I couldn't have foreshadowed it, but actually I did have a feeling that that uh, we could get out of it. Yep. Um, because we knew about these other properties of these materials. Yeah. And you could look at the potential market opportunities for them, and they were large. Mm. One of the real lessons from your story so far, from the Calix story so far, is that you can spend 10 years focusing on developing a product for a particular use and then find that actually it doesn't have a competitive advantage there at all, but it does somewhere else. Yeah. That's fascinating, isn't it? It's, it's a fascinating journey, and I think there are lots of startups that have been through exactly that. Yeah. Do you look back on that now and say, why didn't we realize that in 2006? Well, as an individual, I might have, but don't forget there are investors in the company that invest on the basis of this is the market you have to go to. Yes, I see. So you had to, when you wanted to turn the ship around, you had to get them to all buy in as well. Yeah. Was that tough? I think it was due to our CEO, Phil. Yes. That managed Who we'll be talking to in episode two. Correct. Mm. And, you know, it takes a skill to articulate that transition process. Yeah, yeah. 
Back to those difficult years, two questions. What would you have done differently and what did you do really well in that period? So firstly, looking back on it, if you could go back, what, what would you have done differently? I think we would have taken advice to not pursue the building project. Yes, <laughs> I thought you were going to say that. But what do you think you did really well in that period? What do you look back and feel quite It was developing on? the core technology, that, that Calsano yes. we discussed. Yeah. That was key because once we demonstrated that at commercial scale, we actually could realise that there were other opportunities that could use exactly that scale of yep. Calsano. I think it's tempting sometimes for new businesses, once they get to the point where they've got some clients, is just to go, thank goodness, let's just, we've got something, we've got these clients, let's just relax and serve our clients. How do you balance that with the R&D for your company that will open up new adventures? Or how did you? People would say to me that Mark never balances anything. <laughs> <laughs> but... but Yes, it's difficult, right? Hmm. And so you need people in the company and a board of a company that can realise the future opportunities there. So you start out with, you know, a project. Yes. And you focus on that and deliver on that. And then you go to the next one and the next one. And so we find ourselves now making battery materials. Yes. And it's something we're supposed to make Building products. So, so as, How does that work? <laughs> so as, as research and development, looking over the horizon to the next adventure, always, you know, always been strong for Calix or have you, you had to fight for that? No, I think it's just been inherent that, yeah. that uh, built into the people that formed the company, came into the company. Yeah. And, and am I right in thinking that the plant uh, included a bit of R&D, included production, of course, of your – Products, but there was also an R and D component of it. There's always R and D in scaling up something. Yes. So inherently there is, and there's also R and D in optimizing the plant, and then running other materials through the plant. Yeah. So you know it it, it cascades. And then you do a bit of experimenting at one point where you, the team spent two weeks manually raising and lowering. Uh, is it therm couples? Thermocouples. Yeah, explain that. They and just, what happened? Well, I can't remember actually. <laughs> they probably didn't tell me. But still, <laughs> that, look, those things happen all the time, right? Yeah, right. Because you're pushing the boundaries. Yeah. Maybe it'll work better this way. Yeah. Oh, it didn't. Maybe it'll yeah. work better that way. And have an engineering team that thinks laterally. Yes. Does stuff maybe without telling me. <laughs> That's fine. But that's, I mean, that's a mindset, isn't it? Having people that understand their job isn't just to do their job. It's to work out how we might be able to yeah. do things better. Working out solutions yeah. to difficult problems. And do you think you specifically employed people in Calix who were like that or you just got lucky or the nature of the job requires that or what? I think it was the nature of the job required it, but yeah. also, you know, when the people looking at the company – as to whether they would like to join it, they were taking, they were looking at the bigger picture as well. Yeah. And so it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. So I, I, I think you're suggesting that people who wanted a quiet nine to five, turn up and do the same thing every day, probably didn't uh, apply to Calix. I think that's probably right. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay. um, so where are you now with the technology? Well, I, it, it's 
developed into a, a number of business lines, each of which are addressing multi-billion dollar markets. Mm. The big one for me is carbon capture from production of lime and cement yeah. because that is the, you know, 8% of mankind's emissions come from emissions of making cement. Yeah, wow. And that's a big one. Yeah. You know, so um, for me that's been very challenging, obviously, to, to do that because we're dealing, again, with a conservative, you know, industry. Yeah. The industry we started out with really, mm. um, but at a much more sophisticated level. And so how has is, how is that part of the business ex- expanded? Where are you? Well, you know, most of the, that work has happened in Europe for us. You know, you might remember the, the issues of uh, um, carbon emissions in Australia no, I do. became a rather heated political yes. uh, issue where we just made really two points. One is we'd never be able to do it in Australia on the timelines that would be required. And the second thing was realising that you really have to go to the headquarters of these companies. Hmm. They want to see a plant within 100 kilometres of their headquarters. Right. They Doing stuff down under, it's too hard. It's too far away. So the first point you made, we wouldn't be able to do it on the timelines. What do you mean by that? Well, when you're developing a technology for capturing carbon, yes. it requires a carbon price. Oh, I see. Yeah. Because if, if the companies are told they can forever keep manufacturing the, the way they do, then there's why, no motivation to change. Why add an extra expense? Yeah. Mm. So, so you're saying that really government regulation in Australia and I guess elsewhere will determine how that part of the business goes. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And and you can see the momentum that has come over the last three years to really do climate change. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're chasing that business uh, uh, overseas. Well, we want to bring it back to Australia. Yes. That's, that's important. That's yeah. Our, that's where we live. That's where we generate the next generations of technology. How many, how many plants have you got operating worldwide now? Uh, we've got three. Yeah. And where are they? Um, well, in, in Melbourne is the main one and in, uh, in Belgium is the second. Yeah. So they're, they're the two big ones. The two big ones. And what do you think the big challenges and opportunities are at the moment? I mean, you mentioned carbon capture, but where else? I think it's about sustainability. Mm. that everyone believes in sustainability, and I think that message is there. How do you translate that into products and processes that people need to resolve these issues? Yeah. So that was was a rhetorical question. How do you? you? And how are you? I I think we've learned to... Develop business cases very well. Yes. And you need a business case if you're going to attract investors. We're now publicly listed. So that was a big transition for, for the company to mm. to achieve that. And you have to keep investors and the shareholders informed of what you're doing. The stakeholders are the new companies that can acquire the technology once we develop it. 
And um, change of technique, Mark. How did uh, how did you cope with COVID? How did the company cope? Were you largely affected? No, hmm. no. It 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 has affected us to the extent that um, we can't travel overseas. Yeah, and our company is basically exporting technology opportunities globally. So. When you can't travel, you can't meet with decision makers and influencers. It's harder. It's harder. But we didn't lose a beat, really. Oh, good. Good. So uh, start dreaming again. I guess this all, all, all started with an idea and dreaming about what the possibilities might be. Where would you? Uh, where do you see Calix in 20 years? 2041. <laughs> Phil has told me not to make predictions as a shareholder to the share price. <laughs> <laughs> Good. But, but the, 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 the real thing is that we know our one core technology is applicable in many areas, from all the way from mining to pharmaceuticals and beyond. So it's, it's a very vast canvas of opportunities. Am I right in thinking wherever – it would be advantageous to speed up some chemical reactions. Um, you might have a product that can help, or is that putting it too widely? Too widely? Yeah. This is about powders that are very reactive. Yeah. In the 1990s, there was this big push for nanotechnology. Yes. Everyone knew nanotechnology. Every chemist suddenly became a nanotechnologist, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. It's the way it went. But what we realize is the reactivity of our particles are coming from the same space as those reactive nanoparticles. So a good thing I do is I read the nanoparticle literature and I say, well, okay, they've proven this with their nanoparticles, which are far too expensive. How do we make a product that Calix can make? Mm. And apply it to that those applications. That sounds like very interesting and exciting work. Yep. What advice would you give to an innovator listening to this who's got a great idea and is a bit excited and a bit nervous? <laughs> Persistence, yes. crossing the valley of death, yes, all of that, those things, forming good relationships with investors, yep. um, and being able to turn on a dime. You know, well, turn slowly. It took you. It took you. You guys a while. I know, to turn, but, but, but you did. <laughs> but if we, if we'd realised that earlier, yeah, it would have been easier, right? Yeah, possibly. I'd, you can't predict the past. I mean, what what happened happened. Yes, but but really, the the good innovators are usually very flexible mm. in how to take their innovation to the next step. Yeah. Well. So, Innovative is another word for flexible, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you, it's yeah. funny, you, you don't want to be rigid and dogmatic with an innovation. Because no. You need it's to be innovative with correct. how you, you, you grow it. Yeah. Thank you very much, Mark. Next time on Innovating for the Earth, a deeper dive into how the Calyx technology actually works. Very complex stuff explained in a way that even I'll be able to understand and you will too. 